Just do a check here. Good morning again. Yeah, okay. I need you to be here this morning uh, so that you don't miss what, what we're going to cover this morning. I, I said earlier this morning that I didn't think that you were going to regret being here. You may have already reached that point where you said, yep, that, that was enough. I don't regret it. But maybe you're still waiting for God to speak what you need this morning. And so tune in here, okay? Tune in. Hey, we're going to finish. Um, this is our fourth week in this series. It's our last uh, episode, if you will, last message in this Who We Are series. And if you've missed any of them, you can go back online on our website, Facebook, or our app, and you can catch those. But what we've been doing is trying to, to walk through the vision statement of the church, uh, where we believe God is leading us. And I'll remind you that one of the things I've tried to, to reiterate here is that this vision statement was not bringing a new pastor, he's got a vision, now we're all going that direction. This was birthed, if you will, over the course of a year of studying with the elders together. Uh, we were discussing things. We were really kind of kicking some things around. And, and this is passion born out of, of their hearts and my heart and, and all of us together as we prayed about where does God, where is God leading us? Who are we, who are we wanting to reach? And, and what is He wanting to do with and through this church? And so we, we got to that point about a year into that where we said, okay, it's time to write something down. And so I've been putting this up before you the last couple weeks, and we saw our, 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 our vision up by this. If, if we were saying, hey, where, where do you think God's leading you? We're going to say first, but well, we, we want to be a church that thrives and not just survives. And that, that's a big picture. That's a summary. But we want to be a church that thrives and not just survives. And so we say it like this. Houston Church desires to be a church that thrives and does not just settle for surviving. We long to see our surrounding communities, as well as the world, impacted by the gospel so that lives are changed and impacted in all areas, including but not limited to marriages, parent-child relationships, work relationships, and friendships. And then as we kind of kick that around and we say, okay, but what will that look like? How will we know if that's, if that's taking place? We start to flesh that out a little more. And so what we've been doing through the series is taking uh, some of these statements where we said, well, here's what thriving would mean in this area. And here's what thriving would mean in this area. And so uh, the last three weeks we've looked at one. Today I'm going to lump two together because I'm just going to. And they're kind of related, though. So here's the first one. Thriving means developing the leaders God places among us to continue on the ministry God has to Houston Church. But then I also want to group this one in here. Thriving means giving our efforts to developing impact makers who love Christ's church. And here's why I want to group these together. One, because we're going to talk about leadership a whole lot. And, and, and if you are someone who is a leader, you will be making an impact. There's no way around that. If you're leading, you're making an impact. But the reverse is not necessarily true. If you're not in a position of, of leadership, you, you may, not, may not consider yourself a leader, but everybody can be an impact maker. And so there's some of you in here, maybe, maybe God's already told you you're not a leader. You, you're not someone I'm going to use a leader, or maybe you've decided, I'm not going to lead. But here's what I'm saying to you. You're not off the hook this morning, because everybody can be an impact maker. And so this morning, I'm going to group those together. And the question I'm asking is this. How can God develop a, a leader that he can use? Or how can God develop a person to make an impact that he wants to make through them? Let me ask you a question. If you were in college, and some of you are, and, and you were enrolling in courses, and you were kind of going through a, a course description, and you came across this course that, that said um, dynamic leadership, or leaders that God can use, or, or something that piques your interest, and you kept reading it, and it said, in this course, you're going to learn how to grow as a leader so that you can impact more people and get more things done or, or lead people to do great things. Or, or you're going to learn how in this class to make a bigger impact in the area that you're in or whatever area you're going into. How many of you would, would, would pique your interest 
there and think, I want to sign up for that class. Two. That's it, three. Okay. All right. Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Good news for you three that raise your hand is this would not be a painful process. The, the others of you, here's, here's something I used to do when, when I was out of college. I worked for college for six years, and, and one of the things we did when we came across a class that was required for every freshman orientation or something like that, and they had to take it a certain semester, you know what we would do? Bulk enrollment. You know what that means? You don't get a say in what you're enrolling. This is just a class you've taken. Everybody gets enrolled. This is one of those classes for you this morning. You've all been bulk enrolled in God's plan to develop you as a leader or an impact maker. And so this morning, that's where we're going is how does God develop leaders that he can use or develop people who can make an impact in the way that he wants them to make an impact. And to do that this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 78. So if you'll grab your Bibles, go to Psalm 78. If you need a Bible, there should be someone that chairs there in front of you. And if that's the case, you're going to go to page 651. Psalm 78, and we're going to look at just verses 70 through 72. 70 through 72. And, and all you turn in there, Psalm 78 is a long verse. I mean, a, a, it's a long chapter in, in your Bible, but uh, it's one of those chapters of the, of the Bible and one of those psalms where it's tracing history. And so as you were to read, you were to read all of the psalm, it's going to start with early Israel's history, and, and it's tracing how they went through their history, and ultimately it ends up with one of Israel's greatest kings. The king that, if, if you were to just take a stab in the dark, maybe you've never been to church before, maybe you've only been a few times, and you were to say, name a king of Israel, most every person in, 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 in this room would probably say, King David. Right? That's just who comes to mind. That's where this psalm kind of wraps up. And so as we get to Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72, we're dealing with David. So let's take a look at that. And now when it says he, we're talking about God. So God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfold. He took him away from following the mother sheep and made him the shepherd of Jacob, his people, and of Israel, his chosen nation. David cared for them with pure motives, and he led them with skill. And so here again, here's the question. How does God develop leaders that he can use? Or how does God develop you into an impact maker so that you make an impact wherever you go? How does he do that? And this morning we're going to see the first one we're going to start with is this. You want to grow as a leader? You want to grow as someone who's making an impact for God where you are? You've got to learn now what you will need next. You've got to learn now what you will need next. So let's talk about David for a minute. See, David was a, a shepherd. He was known to be a, a shepherd. And he had all of these older brothers, and he was the youngest of them all. And when Israel got their first king, Israel got a king named uh, um, um, Saul. And Saul was good looking. Saul was tall. Saul was built. People looked at Saul and said, that's our king right there. He commands respect by his presence. He just, he just looks like a king. Like we can parade this guy in front of all the other nations and they will be intimidated by Saul. But Saul was not the greatest of things. Saul, as he continued to lead Israel, started to lead in ways that were selfish and disobeyed God, and ultimately it was the downfall of Saul. Saul was not the king that God, God had desired for Israel. Saul was the king that Israel had picked for themselves. And so when Saul was on a decline after disobeying God, there was a prophet named Samuel, and God said to Samuel, I want you to go, we're going to anoint another king. We're going to anoint the king who's next. And so I want you to go to this house, and the guy's name, the dad of the house, his name is Jesse, and you're going to anoint one of his sons. I'm going to tell you who it is. So Saul gets there, and 
shows up at, at uh, I'm sorry, uh, Samuel gets there and shows up at Jesse's house and says, hey, I'm here on the Lord's business, and I'm here to anoint one of your sons as king. And so, so Jesse brings all of his sons up in front, and, and of course he does what, what most any of us would do. He puts his oldest son first and says, well, there you go. And Samuel's looking at him and goes, yeah, he looks He's got a good bill with his stature. It looks like a king. Surely, this is God's king. That standard listened to God. God says, no, that's, that's, not, that's not my king. That's not the Lord. And, and so, then, so then Jesse puts his second son. Okay, well, maybe that, that one time when the oldest got in trouble, that's disqualified. And so then it's this one, right? He puts his second one up. And, and, and Samuel says, okay, well, surely this is the one. That makes sense. Right? I mean, if it's not the first son, it's got to be the second one. That makes sense. And God says, no, that's not, that's not him either. And so they went through the sons of Jesse. And each one, God says, no, no, that's not the one. And he, he would say this to Samuel. Samuel, you look at the, the outside of people. But I look at the inside of people. And none of these guys are my name. And so Samuel's standing there and he says, okay, well, I've gone through all your sons. And Jesse, do, do you happen to have any more? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Do you have any more? And at this point, Jesse, I can imagine he maybe gets a little, so sheepish, a little hesitant, a little embarrassed. Well, yeah, there's one, but he's the youngest. He's out in the, he's out in the field with the sheep. I mean, you, you surely are not going to consider the one that's out in the field with the sheep. And, and Samuel says, well, go get him. And we're not going to sit down until he gets here because we've got to take care of this. So David, he's the youngest, the baby, the runt. Nobody's thinking about him as anything leadership material. Nobody's looking at David going, king. No, nobody's even thinking that David should have even been considered for king. He was left out with the sheep. And so David, he spends his time with sheep. He talks to sheep all day long. He smells like sheep all day long. Some of you, you feel like you mothers, you feel like you're talking to sheep all day long. All you get back is bad, 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 you know, when you're talking to your kids. And, and, and David smells like sheep, but you kind of walk away, and you're like, I wish I could put on some perfume and it would stay, you know, but instead my kids decide what I smell like throughout the day, right? And maybe you're thinking, like like David, I'm not, I'm not leadership with you. Nobody's looking to you to make an impact. You're, you're just you're just at home. And maybe some of you, that's the case. But here David is, he's, he's taking care of the sheep. And he's just he's just going through the day to day. You know what I mean? You, you leave the sheep, you make sure they eat, you make sure they sleep, you make sure they get water, you clean up their messes, right? and you, you kind of poke and prod them a little bit to get them where they're going. You know what I mean? It's not a glamorous job. not a respected job. You know, we, we might think of shepherds as respectable because the Bible has created such a great imagery of a shepherd. But in that day, shepherds, man, you, you stink. You're dirty. You're hanging out with sheep all day long. You're not even worthy to be around people. And that's how David was viewed. Certainly not someone that God can use. Certainly not king. And I don't think David was even looking to be a leader. I mean, he was going through the day-to-day stuff. I mean, I don't think David was, uh, you know, entering into contests where he was putting himself up on display and saying, could I be the next king of Israel? I mean, he was not looking to be king. I don't even know if he even had a desire to that. We don't know. All he was doing was shepherding sheep. You've got to learn now what you're going to do. You see, David would take the things that he had learned as a shepherd and, and he would then use those things as he moved along in God's plan for him. Because as we follow David's story, 
So David, uh, he comes before Samuel. Samuel anoints him as king because God says, that's the one, that's the man. He's after my own heart. Anoint him. And so he pours all this oil down him. David, who has just come out, he's not even cleaned up, guys. I mean, he still stinks, right? And he's being anointed with oil. But he did not become king right away. He did not move into the kingship right away. He went back to shepherding sheep. Can you imagine that? I, I mean, some of you, you're waiting for God to show you what's next. You're waiting, you're in a period of transition, and you're waiting for God to say, this is what I have for you. This is where, where you're going next. And, and you're, you're starting to get discontent with where you are. But then maybe even some of you, maybe God has revealed, this is where I'm leading you. This is what's next for you. This is what you're preparing for. But it's not now. And sometimes that's even harder. To know, that's where I'm headed. That's where God's leading me. But wh- when is it going to happen? I remember I was working at this college. I was there for six years as I was going through seminary, and, and I remember I finished my first degree, and it was 2009, and I still had more school to go, and I thought, i got to get out of this college. It, it's not what I want to be doing. You know, it, it's, not, it's not work that, that, for me, is what God's leading me to. You know, I, I knew he was heading, leading me into sh- uh, pastoral ministry. I knew he was leading me into church ministry sometimes, and here I was at this college, and, and I was doing things, and I was, I was doing them well, but I, I wasn't... I really wasn't content with where I was. And I remember 2009, and I've got a degree, and I'm saying, great, now I'm going to use that degree to get out of this place. And I'm going to start applying for churches. And so I did. 2009, I started submitting my resume for churches. All over. Rejection. Rejection. And not what we're looking for. No experience. I'm looking for someone with more experience. And, and on it went, and, and no job came through. And, and so here I am. I'm in the now, but I want to be in the next. Well, God kept me there for another three years. Another three years. And it was in those three years that my position changed, and I ended up doing more things. And, and in that time, I was learning then what I would need now. I was learning in the now what I would need next. And some of you, you're in that spot where you're saying, I just want to be where I am next, where I'm supposed to be, where, where I think God's leading me. But right now, God's saying, no, you need to be here now. You need to be where you are now. I have you where you are now so that you can learn what you're going to need from where I have you next. You know, uh, it's Proverbs 16.9, it says this, and it, it's the heart of man or the mind of man that plans his way. But who directs his steps? It's God who directs his steps. So you and I, we come up with plans, right? We come up with, with, with what we want to do in our life, and that's not bad. And we come up with direction, and we follow after it. You know, but at the end of the day, we've got to... Trust the Lord. Hey God, you direct my steps. I, I know you're doing it anyway. You know? And so, here I am, I'm discontent, and God's saying, no, I need you to learn now. Okay. Maybe you're in that spot. The Apostle Paul in Philippians in the New Testament, in chapter 4, before he gets to this verse that everybody knows and quotes, right? He says this, look, there's been times where I've had plans. And I learned how to live with plans. And I was content with the plane. And then there were times where that plane was gone. And I had to learn to live with little, nothing. And he says, I was content in both of those cases. Neither one of those cases changed who I was or, or, or how, I, how I viewed God. I learned in contentment to live in both those situations. And you know what comes up next? Because I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guys, that's not a verse that, 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 that is, is put out there so that we can go accomplish some sports school or that we can go win some kind of victory. Paul was not talking about a very glamorous situation. He says, man, I'm writing from prison. 
I have nothing right now, but I've been here before, and I've had plenty, and I've been on both sides, and I will get through each of these situations because it's through Christ who strengthens me that I can get through those situations. Some of you right now, you need to stay where you're at so that you can learn now what God has for you next. Because if you don't learn it now, you're going to have to repeat that lesson. Or if you don't learn now what God has for you, you won't have it later when He moves you to what's next. And you need to grasp it. How does God develop leaders that He can use? How does God develop people to make an impact? It's in the now. There's no mistakes with God. You are where you are. You're doing what you're doing because God has you there right now. So learn now what you need next. So David, the sheep, right? He goes on and, and, and there's this day when he's still not in his kingship position, right? But he, he's now shepherding sheep. His brothers have gone to the battlefront. They're fighting a war against the Philistines. And Jesse, his dad, says, I want you to bring him some bread and cheese, boy. I want you to bring him some lunch. All right, you're the run. You've been anointed king, but David's not insisting upon his kingship. We don't read David going, I'm a king. I don't deliver lunch to people. He's just being faithful in what he is in now. And he goes to the front lines, and he's carrying his lunch, and as he gets there, he notices these two armies, are, they're encamped against one another, and, and, and throughout the day, this guy, this giant of a man comes out, and he's just taunting the Israelites, and he's taunting their, their God, and mocking them, and, and they're practicing what's called representative warfare. It makes absolutely no sense to me, right? But it was this. You put your best person out here, we'll put our best person out here, and the winner takes over. And if you lose, if your best guy loses, you become our servant. When I read stuff like that, I'm like, we're with our guy. Come on. It makes more sense. But that was not what they were doing. It was a representative warfare. And so nobody wanted to step up against this giant of a man. David hears him. He goes, what's going on here? He kind of gets the story, right? And then he goes, well, I'll do it. I'll take care of him. And his brothers, you can hear them kind of mocking him. Go back, go back home, boy. You're just supposed to be delivering, you know, you know, food and lunch. And then go back. You shepherd sheep. You stink. You smell like sheep. You've never been in battle in your life. You don't have experience with this. This was David's tool at the time. A stick, staff. Or, you know, call it what you want. Nothing impressive. I mean, he got his job done. It's no sword. It's no spear. Go home, boy. Word such as bread, David finds himself before Saul, the king of the time. And Saul's going, what do you you think you're going to do here, man? And and he says, look. And so he starts to explain. Because now, if you look, I I shepherd sheep. But but Saul, you know, your servant, King Saul, there was a time when I was shepherding the sheep. I was just doing the day-to-day stuff. And I was just leading my sheep where they went, and this lion comes. And this lion threatens my sheep. And there was another occasion where a bear came, and, and, and this bear threatened my sheep, and I took him down with my hands. Guys, there's one guy in this church that I'm aware of who knows how to take bears down with his bare hands. What? It's not, it's not something that we do every day. And David says, I've been in a situation that I think God has used to prepare me for this. I'm going to treat that Philistine just like one of those animals. And God will get win the victory. And so with the swing and with a few rocks, Going up against this giant of a man, he, he wins the victory. He learned now, and he took what he learned in the now, and he used it for what God had made. And then that continued on in David's pattern. Some of you need to learn now what's in his next. And then the other thing, if you look at these verses here, and I'm going to go back to the is this. Look, it, it says, he chose David his servant. His servant. If you were to kind of search in the Old Testament for any time it calls someone God's servant, what you're going to find is the person who is 
talking about God so that the sum of these already worshiping God. David was worshiping God in the situation he was already in. He was worshiping God as a shepherd. He wasn't waiting until God elevated him to a position of influence, a position of leadership, to a position of making an impact before he worshiped. He was already worshiping God. I wonder if some of you need to just start worshiping God where you are. In the circumstances, in the situation that you find yourself. Worshiping God for who he is and where he has you because he has not changed. That's what David was doing. He was God's servant. You've got to worship God in the now. Because if you don't worship God now, what makes you think getting moved to a leadership position or a position of impact or influence is going to change any of that? It's not. Learn now what you need next. All right? But how does God continue to shape you? You've got to learn now what you need next. And you've got to entrust yourself to God. You've got to entrust yourself to God. And so back in our verses, I want you to notice some language here. He chose and took. He took, verse 71, and made him the shepherd. Who's in control? God. God is in control. The mind of man finds way to the Lord directly. Except David was a man who entrusted himself to God. Everything I have, God, family, money, finances, job, my kids, you know, my, my schooling, whatever it is, God, I'm entrusting it to you. I, I'm surrendering myself to you. I'm trusting you to guide me, to place me where you need me, to lead me on the path that you have for me. God, I entrust myself to you. That's what David was. Remember, because he didn't go straight into being a king. Before he fought Goliath, he went right back in the shepherd. But he had to entrust himself to God. God has given me a vision. He has anointed me as king. I'm still holding the staff. My sword, my scepter, a stick. And I entrust it to you, God. Use me here. Guide me here. Do what you want with me here, God. And each step of the way, are you entrusting yourself to God? Are you trusting him to guide you, to lead you where you, you, you are going, to, to trust that maybe you find yourself in a circumstance, situation, and you're going, that's not where I want to be. It's not where I think God's leading me ultimately, and I'm, and I'm here now. Will you entrust yourself to God? Maybe you're going through something, and you can't explain why you're going through it, or maybe you've got something in your past, and you're going, I don't know why God would allow me to go through something like this, but will you entrust yourself to God? And I don't know why you would take me through this. I don't know why you would let this happen. I don't know why you would want to do this for me. And I entrust myself to you. Use me, God. Use me however you want. For your good. You've got to entrust yourself to God. We go on. You've got to apply integrity. So you've got to learn now what you will need next. You've got to entrust yourself to God. And you've got to apply integrity. So if I throw those verses back up there, what you'll see in verse 72 then is David cared for them. Some of your translations say shepherded them with uh, the, the integrity of his heart, a pure motive, and he led them with skill. Pure motive or integrity of heart. The Hebrew literally says perfection of heart. When David was finally elevated to that position, when David finally stepped in as king, he didn't do it for his own purposes. He didn't lead the people for his own benefit. He led them he didn't try to make an impact that would that would benefit him so much as it would benefit others. He wasn't looking to try to build his name. He was looking to try to build the fame of the Lord. 
David applied integrity. He, he was doing what he was called to do. Now, if I would ask you what the definition of integrity is, most of you would probably give the definition that, that we typically throw out, which would be um, it's doing in private when no one's looking what you would do when people are looking. Right? It's consistency. It's about being consistent. It's about being the same person behind closed doors as you are in front of everyone else. And that's, 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 that's a good definition. But I was reading a book a couple years back by a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud, and, and it's called Integrity of the Book. In chapter 3, he defines integrity. And he goes a lot deeper than that. You see, he starts to talk about the word integrity. And he says, you know, the word integrity, it comes from the root word integer. Now, some of you are math people. You know what an integer is? It's a whole number. Not a fraction. Not a decimal. A whole number. And, and Dr. Cloud goes on to say, integrity is about living your life with wholeness. That is, being consistently on the outside who you are on the inside. Being who God has created and designed you to be. See, when David stepped up to lead, he didn't go back and look at King Saul and say, well, this is where he was really successful and this was the, the, the type of style he led with, so I'm going to mimic that and do that. See, that wouldn't be with integrity. That wouldn't be David leading as God has See, our temptation is when we get into positions of leadership, we, we look at who's been successful and, and how can I look like them, talk like them, sound like them, because if they've been successful doing that, then I'm going to be successful doing this. All the while God's saying, I don't need another one of them. I need you, as I've designed you to be. I need you with the gifts and the skills and the personality and the temperament and the experiences and the background that you have. I've prepared you for this. Remember that time you were you were complaining because you were in the now and you just wanted to be next? You were learning the things that I have put in you now. So that you can be here. So integrity, leading with integrity is leading out of who God has created you to be. Impacting people, making an impact as God has designed you to be, not trying to be like someone else. Integrity. Here's the other thing about integrity. Integrity is one of those things and you have to start learning now. Because it's not just going to show up later. You, you're not going to uh, be a person who lacks integrity now and then God elevates you to a position of leadership or influence or, or starts allowing you to make an impact and then all of a sudden you have integrity. It doesn't work that way. You've got to learn integrity now in the little things. You've got to, in the things that might seem like they don't even matter to you, you're filling out paperwork and you go, nobody will ever notice that I fudged that paperwork. You know, nobody will ever notice that I, you know, I lied on that report because it, it doesn't really make a difference in the big line and it benefits the company. You see, but it's the inside. You see, because if, if that's what you're doing now, it only gets harder when the pressure builds up. If you lack integrity now, if you're not consistent in it now, when that, when that oven gets turned up, it's not going to increase your integrity. It's going to break it down. And it won't be there. Some of you, maybe you're wanting to be in positions of leadership, you're, you're, you're desiring that, and maybe you just want to impact people. And all the while they're saying, yes, 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 but we need to focus on your integrity. We need to talk about your character. There's, a, there's, there's this three C's that, that get kind of passed around when you're looking to hire people. Sometimes someone will say, well, consider the three C's. Character, competency, and chemistry. Character. If a person doesn't have Character. You don't hire them. Doesn't matter if they're competent. Doesn't matter if you and your team has uh, chemistry with them. If they don't have character, don't hire them. 
and you don't have character now, what makes you think when you get to a position of influence where you're starting to make an impact on people that all of a sudden it's going to be there? It'll only get harder. So learn that now. Apply integrity now. So you've got to learn now what you're going to need next. You've got to entrust yourself to God. You've got to apply integrity. And then the last one would be this. You've got to develop your skills. Develop your skills. And so, look at the last part of verse 17 there. He shepherded them with pure motives, and he led them with skill. God, God's not expecting you to sit back and go, okay, God, when you're ready, just infuse me with all the skills that I'm going to need. No, he's saying develop them. Some of you are in training classes now that, that are maybe related to your business, that, that maybe you've never made the connection that God's using those things now to teach you so that you can use them in other areas for him. Maybe there's, there's skills that you're learning in the job you're at now. You, you know, you're you are staying home with kids all day long, and you're just butting heads with your kids all day long, and, and you're wondering, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to make an impact in the world? And God's saying, well, one, that's your impact right there. And then two, he's saying, the things that you're learning there now, the staying on top of the kids and the, and the being consistent in the discipline and trying to motivate your kids to do things they don't want to do, man, God can use those kind of things. When I look back at my life, and I look at my job. I knew when I was early on in college, God was leading me to some kind of ministry. He kept reshaping that. And by about my sophomore year of college, it became clear to me pastoral ministries were there, church ministries. And at that time, I was working at the OG, the Olive Garden. How many of you have ever been at the Olive Garden? What do you go to the Olive Garden for? Bread sticks. And some people to sell it. Breadsticks. All of you can eat breadsticks. Man, I was working the Olive Garden for a year and a half, and when you have an all-you-can-eat item on your menu, and they're like breadsticks, and you're told only bring one breadstick per person for the first round, and you put them down, and those breadsticks are gone before you can even say, can I get your drink order? And they're asking, you know, some of them even have the audacity to say, hey, can you just bring some more breadsticks because we're going to need more? Right? I mean, you, you start to get kind of pushed. And then, and then when you work in the, in the service business, and some of you have been there, you see the ugly side of people. How many of you get hangry? Yes. Take a look around. Make sure they have food before you talk to them, okay? You, you, when you take someone to a restaurant and they're hangry, oh, they treat you like less than a person. They treat you like a servant. But after they've eaten, if the service is good and the food is good, and they treat you kindly. They want to have conversations with you. I was working at the Olive Garden all these years, that, that year and a half, and I didn't know that God was preparing me to deal with people in that moment. That God was preparing me to learn how to be humble, to be a servant. Because when people are treating you like that over food, and you want to, you know, drop that line that every parent likes to drop, they're starving kids in Africa. You want some breadsticks? You gotta learn at that moment patience. You gotta learn that I could say that, but it's gonna have consequences. Right? You've gotta learn that it's not appropriate to go spit in their food behind the scenes. Right? You gotta learn ways to treat people, ways to deal with people. You know a large part of my, my, my role now is to deal with people. You know, you know, that that has that has times where you you've gotta learn how to deal with difficulties. You gotta learn how to deal with different dynamics. People get cranky sometimes. I get cranky sometimes. Right? And so when you start to deal with people, you know, you have tension. Boy, the Olive Garden is a training ground for that because people 
get cranky when they're hungry and when they're hungry. And sometimes those two went hand in hand. And then I go on, and my next job, I, I, was, I was working at a, um, an indoor pool for a school district down in, in the Houston area. It was a natatorium that the school district used for swimming. So I had swam there as a high school, and then I ended up getting a job, and I was the night manager. I was a technician, and I was learning to work on pool stuff and then manage people and programs and stuff. And you know what? In that time, I learned some things there, too. You see, one of my responsibilities was that night when the pool would, would need to be cleaned, I was backwashed. Any of you have a pool, you know it's backwashing here. It's where you start sucking the water out of the pool for a little while just to kind of skim some stuff off, and then you're supposed to turn that off and then put the water back on. We had two pools in that facility, an 880,000-gallon pool and a 44,000-gallon pool. Three occasions in three years, guys. 44,000 gallons of water drained dry because I left it backwashing over there. Now, now, I don't know if you, you fully get the impact of that, but when swim teams come in at 5 o'clock in the morning to practice, and I didn't leave till 9 o'clock, and that pool starts backwashing at 9 o'clock, they come in ready to start their practice at 5 o'clock in the morning, and there's no water in their pool. That's not a mistake that can be fixed within a matter of, of a few minutes, not even an hour. Like, they cannot use that pool at all. That's humiliating. But I learned about follow-up. i got to stay in. i got to stay in. It, it checked in. I can't check out before the task is done. I, I, can't, I can't go through things and do them mindlessly because I get careless. Right? I, I've got to then learn to bear the responsibility because there's no hiding that. When I come back into work the next day and the water is just now filling back up, everybody knows who drained that pool. Three times. Like one time, yeah, you're a newbie. Three times. Three years in. Carelessness. I had to learn. And that God was teaching me. Still. And there's other ones there. And then I go on to this college and I'm working at this college. And I'm doing things there for six years that, you know, they make a difference for people, but it's not what I knew God was leading me to. And I didn't want to be there for that long, but I was there for six years. I thought I was only going to be there for four. That's kind of how I set my mind. But in that time, God was putting me in different positions. In the last position, remember I said in 2009, I was looking for jobs and kept me there for three more years? Well, it was shortly after that time that they changed my position. And now all of a sudden, I'm in a director position. I've got nine staff on me. I've never had staff on me and I had to learn how to lead staff. Now, that's a, nine people is a lot of people to direct reports. Any leadership for me is going to be five or less direct reports. But I had to learn how to manage staff. And, and that became So I had to learn how to manage budgets, large budgets. You know, and at the time I'm going, I don't really care about this budget. I know I'm going to do well at it because I'm responsible for giving the numbers. But I don't get to spend most of this money. Why do I need to be in charge of this budget, right? Well, I had to learn that process. I had to learn how to do some hard battle and how to fire people. Now, I'm not looking to implement that one, by the way. But I had to learn how sometimes you've got to do the right thing. you got to do what's needed. Even when you don't want to do it. And even when people are going to kick off, you may not even know why you do it. And when you fire people, especially when it's a morality issue, you don't get to go around as a boss and tell people why you fire them. But they get to go around and tell people their own story. And to this day, People think I fired them because it's something very small. You got to think of it. But God was showing me in that and training me and teaching me. You've got to develop your skills. There's things that you guys are in now that you've got to develop your skills and that God's going to say, it doesn't matter that you didn't go to school for that. It doesn't matter that you didn't get the right kind of training for that. I can use that. David, you're learning how to poke sheep and try to motivate them to get them to go in the direction you need to go. Later, I'm going to have you leading my people. If you can't get sheep to go to water, how are you going to get my people to do the right thing? David, I, 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 
I've got a bear that I'm going to raise up and, and try to attack your sheep, and I want you to defend it, because if you can't defend these sheep who are compared to people who are worthless, how are you going to do when, as a king, you're being attacked by a Philistine and all these other people? Develop your skills now, David, because those things transfer. Maybe you're thinking, I need these skills, and then I'll leave. Then I'll make an attack. And God said, no, you're getting the skills now. That's what you need. Develop your skills. So, if I can review these, how does God develop a leader that he needs? How does God take a person and, and develop them so that they can make an impact that he wants to make for them? you got to learn now what you need to you got to entrust yourself to God. You've got to imp- apply integrity. And you've got to develop your skills. You see it? You see it? Time to leave. You're waiting for it to start later? It's time to leave now. You're waiting to make your impact later? It's time to leave now. It's time to make your impact now. It starts now. Some of you, you you're, you're hiding behind something. You know, for David, it was this staff, you know. He, he, he's just a stick. It's not sword, it's not scepter. But for him, maybe that represented for him what was his limit, what he, why he couldn't leave, why God couldn't use him, because he's just a shepherd. For some of you, what is it that is limiting you? What is it that, that you're saying, I can't leave now, I can't make an impact because this limits me? For some of you, it's this. This is what you spend your day with all day long. How can I make an impact on people? I'm just changing lives all day long. I, I walk away smelling like these guys without the moving forward all day long. And maybe this represents for you why you think God can't use you. Why you think God is not going to be able to lead through you or make an impact through you. Because you're just a mom. And yet you're learning how to motivate people to do what they don't want to do. You're having to be disciplined on top of them and consistent so that they can learn. You're having to make sure they stay alive for crying out loud. You know what I mean? You're having to care for them, and you're dealing with all these emotions that are constantly changing. So you're learning people skills as you try to navigate. You're trying to keep schedules. You could be someone's CEO. You could be someone's executive officer with all the stuff that you do. God's developing your skills now. Maybe for some of you, the limitation is not what you have, but maybe what you don't have. I don't have the right degree yet. Once I have that degree, then I'll do what God's leading me to do. I don't have the man or the woman that I want yet. Or I don't know if God's going to bring that to me, so I, I can't really make an impact until I'm a married person. But God's saying, no, there's stuff that you can do now that nobody else can do. So do it. It's time to leave. What is it that's limiting you that you're saying, I can't leave, I can't make an impact because? Because in that, God's going to say, no, I want you to learn now what you'll need next. I want you to entrust yourself to me. Just trust me. I've got this. I've got you. I want you to apply integrity. Let's start working on it now. Start the little thing because later on when that heat's turned up, you're not going to be able to stand. Develop your skills now. It doesn't matter if you have the right credentials. You've got the skills. I can use that. It's time to lead. It's time to lead. Some of you are already in leadership positions, but maybe you're not using it to lead in God's church. Maybe you're not using it to lead to the benefit of God's church. And maybe he's saying to you, you know what? I've been developing you. And it's fine that you lead where you're at. But I wasn't just developing you for this. I've been developing you to do something for you. Time to leave. Time to start making an impact. Last thing as I wrap up, I would be remiss if I didn't point you out. We look at David. David was unimpressive. He didn't look like a king. He wasn't looking at him now. He didn't command his presence. He was less than what people expected. From, from, uh, from God's king. He, he wasn't what people were looking for. People didn't think he was worthy. He wasn't valued. Nobody was looking at David saying he's a king. 
And yet God elevated him to a position of leadership. And he became Israel's greatest king. But he was imperfect. And he failed too. God used him. But David points us to the one who did not fail. David points us to someone else that God would elevate to a position of honor, to a position of kingship, someone who was unimpressive. The Bible tells us Jesus did not look pretty. He wasn't anything to behold. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was less than what people expected of him. He wasn't the king they were looking for. I mean, come on, Jesus. If you're going to be the king, let's just go in and get the job done, and let's just rule with an iron scepter. Instead, Jesus came more meek, more mild, and then he had to die first. It wasn't what people were expecting. Nobody was looking to Jesus to be their king once they realized how he lived again. And yet God elevated him. He came so that he would become like one of us. He took on flesh. He actually stepped down from his position of loyalty. And he took on flesh. He became one of his creation. The only difference was he didn't have sin. But he did that so that he could live among us, so that he could then die for us. Because he took, when he died, the penalty and the punishment for my sin, for your sin. That's what I earned. That's what you earned. But yet God says, but I'm going to put it on him. And and he's going to die in your place. And he's going to take care of this thing that has divided us for so long. And then he raised from the dead, victorious, proving that he had done what he had set out to do, and that he was victorious and had the right to rule as king. And now God says, I want you to entrust yourself to me. Trust in him. Trust in him. Stop trying to manage your life, trying to manage your destiny, and try to tip those scales. I want you to just to trust in Jesus. He already did what you can't do. He, he took what you and I deserve. And when you trust Him, He gives you what He earned, righteousness, so that you can then be brought back into God's family, adopted as a son, as His daughter. And guess what? When God adopts you as a son or a daughter, here's what becomes true of you. It doesn't matter that you're bearing this guilt and carrying it before you come in. When Christ gets a hold of you and you trust in Him, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He took that condemnation for you. The guilt and the shame is not yours to carry anymore. Christ took that. And so God's saying, I want to work in you. I want to, I want to shape you and mold you. And I'm trying to do that. But you won't let go of these things that I already took from you. So will you entrust yourself to God? The one who David points us to is Jesus himself. Some of you may have some you better start this morning. Because God does not wait for anything. That's what's behind Romans 8, 28. Therefore, there is. Uh, that, that we know that God calls all things to work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. That's not your good. That's, that's how He defines good. And He'll go on to explain that that's what you can be conformed to the image of Christ. God's working on you. He who began a good work, I'm confident that He will complete that work, but He's not complete yet. There's so many of us who want to be complete. That's the latest. God will finish it. But let's let Him work on us now. Father, thank you for your love for us, your grace for us, for what's not earned, uh, but yet you freely gave. Thank you, God, that for, for, for the life of Christ and the love that finished his death for us. And some this morning, they need to trust him. They need to entrust their lives, surrender it all to him, surrender, surrender all the things that they're trying to manage that need to be put to form. And some of us, God, maybe we've been trusting in Christ already for salvation, but we need to re-place uh, our trust in him for, for things like our finances, for our kids, for our husband, for our wife, for for our job situation, for whatever it is that we're waiting on, God, that we're looking forward 
for to you to provide, but yet we need to let go of it and hold it loose God. Would you help us to entrust those to you? And would you continue to work in us that you, you want to do through us? Shape those of us into leaders who need to lead, that you want to use and shape others into making impacts where they are. They may think that they're worthless where they are, that they can't do anything, but all the while God speaks into their lives that you want to impact people around them. You want to make an impact in the people that they're in their lives so that they can influence them for you. God, would you show us, open our eyes, draw our, our vision for what you're doing. And then when we leave, help us to do so with integrity. Pure heart. Not wasting the skills that you've created to us in the world. God, may we do that for your glory and not our own. Well, guys, uh, if you're able, please stand and we'll dismiss. And if you are visiting this morning for the first time, if you have a second, I'd love to say hello if I haven't met you yet. And if that's the case, exit these doors, hang a light, I'll meet you down by the uh, couches. We'd love to say hello and uh, meet you there. Okay? It's time to lead. It's time to make an impact. And God is giving you what you need and He will continue to provide what you need. So go out and do it. And trust yourself to the Lord. And do that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.